Well, good morning again, all. I'm still Brandon, one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us on a screen or right here in the sanctuary, so glad you decided to spend a bit of your Sunday morning here with us. Over this last month, we've been challenging each other to deal with difficult people in our lives. Now, we've been exploring some practices that are, quite frankly, hard and difficult to live out. While these can absolutely help us interpersonally in those difficult relationships we've got, these practices are even more powerful than that. These practices can connect us and others to Jesus. They are the way we move in the world that shows the world we live like him and can help others find their way to Jesus too. First, we sincerely love. We know difficult people. We are difficult people at times. So let's work to sincerely love other people through prayer and through acts that show that we love them. We also genuinely hate the things that pull us and others away from God. We do not get the privilege to hate anybody, hate anyone as followers of Jesus, but we hate actions of others and ourselves. So may we stop snacking on what draws us away from God. May we cling to what is good and love better so we can know what to hate. We saw last week the challenge was to give peace a chance. We were challenging each other to stop nursing our hurt, to stop nursing our hurt, to focus on Jesus because we're not going to be overcome by our pain when we are overwhelmed by his grace. Now today, we've been tiptoeing around this one for a couple of weeks. We've been dipping our toe in the water. And today, frankly, it is a heavy topic that we are going to go after. Every one of these is hard today. This one is hard and heavy. Sometimes, despite loving people, sincerely loving, genuinely hating, giving peace a chance, difficult people are still difficult people. Nothing changes for years. And in some cases, this relationship is harming you and those you love. So what do you do then? What do you do when it doesn't depend upon you? Now, we are, as followers of Jesus, we're not the ones who just seek peace in passive ways in conflict or complicated situations. We are peacemakers. We try to actually work to bring peace to hurting people and places in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools. We are active in the world. It's one of the reasons we do so many of the things we do here, like our 15th half of Christmas offering we celebrated last week. We are literally helping people, those experiencing homelessness, stay alive in brutal winter days and help find a pathway to housing and to hope. We want to do something when people don't have enough food to eat or money to put roof over their heads or clothes to wear, especially in our winters. We Christians are active in our faith, in our peacemaking. We are not the people who sit on our hands. So it can be hard for us to hear it can be hard for us helpers to hear, hard to digest. There are times when no matter what you do, dealing with difficult people in your lives, it will not be enough. Things have not changed and things may never change. Because, friends, there are situations where it does not depend on you. The person who is unhappy at absolutely everything in life, you didn't do anything and they're only going to be happy unless, when everyone is unhappy with them. We are not responsible for someone else's happiness. I am not responsible for someone else's happiness. Say it with me. I am not responsible for someone else's happiness. 
One more time. I am not responsible for someone else's happiness. We can only do our part in dealing with difficult people. We can only control and moderate our emotions, our responses, no one else's. We sincerely love, genuinely hate, and give peace a chance. Their response, their reactions, is up to them. Sometimes these practices merely keep us connected to someone, and we hope maybe years later they're going to become less difficult. However, sometimes the situation, sometimes the situation, the pain in the relationship means we cannot, we must not maintain a relationship with them. This past week in our Luke Bible study, uh, Jesus discussed divorce. While lifting up the ideal for divorce, he also still mentioned a reason for divorce. And in that passage, he listed adultery. It reminded me years ago, I was listening to a friend preach. She was talking about divorce and noting in the ideal, in the perfect world where we're fully the people God has called us to be, there would be no need for divorce among any married people. It is the high standard that scripture lays out. But on this side of the new heaven and the new earth, we are not perfect. We are broken, sinful humans, and there are times divorce is necessary for one, if not both parties, and others in the family. She, in that sermon, lifted up three big reasons she's seen for divorce, and these are far from the only reasons. She lifted up abuse, physical, emotional, verbal, you name it, addiction, and adultery, a violation of trust. Now, it struck me that abuse, addiction, adultery as a violation of trust don't just apply to married people, but in all relationships, these can be reasons the relationship does not depend upon you, and they are reasons to disconnect from a harmful relationship for your own health and your own well-being. Abuse, addiction, adultery. In my years of pastor, I've seen another reason that folks have divorced, and I've seen this in other relationships too, where one of the parties in a marriage just checks out. There are times one spouse, for whatever reason, maybe none of what I just mentioned, is simply done. And even if the other spouse wants to stay to make the marriage work, it takes two to make a marriage happen. There's a whole other level of pain and grief and loss for the one who wanted to stay together and the other one doesn't. Grief and loss abound when marriages disintegrate, when friendships disappear. Friends, we can be very difficult people at times. Now hear me clearly today. There are times when it doesn't depend on you in a relationship and you can stay connected to another difficult person, continuing our practices of sincerely loving, genuinely hating, and giving peace a chance. But there are times, there are absolutely times relationships need to end, maybe due to adultery, addiction, abuse, and for you, for the health of your, the, your peace, your wholeness, others in your family, that relationship has got to stop. It might be the person in the verbally abusive relationship, this person who keeps hearing over and over again the voice of the other person that they are not good enough, that they're always doing bad things, that they are the problem, when the truth is absolutely the opposite, when Jesus is trying to tell them, I love you, you are more than enough. You are not the problem. In those relationships, it is time to leave for your own health and well-being. It's the one who is it's the one who's stuck in addiction and the one who doesn't is not dealing with the addiction that is affected. The addict is not aware, unable to get help for so long, unaware of the damage they're doing to their loved ones and their spouse has to leave for their own health 
and their own well-being. There are simply time for relationships to end and people to find peace apart. So how do I deal with a frayed relationship when it is not about what I did, but it's about somebody else? Let's see what scripture has for us today. We're still in Romans 12. If you want to follow along, you can open up there in your own Bibles. It's the back part of your Bible. We're going to start in verse 18 of Romans 12 today. You can follow along in your own Bible, on your favorite device, or it's up on the screen with me. Just a reminder, this letter is written by Paul, a first century tent maker. He was a blue-collar worker as well as a church planter. He gives some of his last advice, his last guidance to those Christians living in Rome. Now, in a world where they didn't have a say in how they were governed, in a world where they were a tiny group in a vast and complicated culture of multiple gods, they tried living a different way, a way of following Jesus, treating everyone, not just Christians, but treating everyone with sincere love, genuine hate, and peace. You know, just a couple decades after the letter to the Romans was written, About 125 AD, a Greek philosopher named Aristides attempted to explain Christianity to the Roman emperor of the day, Hadrian. And so this is how Aristides tries to describe Christians to the emperor. He said, these Christians love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the one who has nothing. If they see an immigrant, they take him into their homes and they rejoice over him as a brother. Friends, the call on Jesus on our lives has not changed since that was written almost 2,000 years ago. It's living the way the early Christians did and the way they lived. They not only survived through that time, but they thrived. They outlasted the Roman Empire. And they are the reason you and I are sitting here today, following Jesus or considering how we follow Jesus. That is the same way we're called to live today. So let's jump into the text. We're going to start in verse 18 of Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Let's say that whole passage together. Dan's going to start it over for us from the top. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Peace is the goal. Do all that you can, or in your translation, just, it might say, as much as it depends upon you, as much as you can control your reactions, your emotions, your mental state, live at peace with everyone. As much as we wished we could control everyone's reactions and responses. And man, wouldn't the world be easier if people would just do what you wanted them to do? Just live my way. You'll be fine. Just do what I say. But that's not the way the world or people work. 
We strive to live in peace, and if it's not possible, when it's necessary, we need to separate ourselves from relationships that are harmful to us. It's one thing to stay connected to difficult people. It's another thing to stay connected to those that are causing harm to us and others that we love. Sometimes, peace is found in disconnection. Now, Paul in this passage moves quickly from peace to revenge. Why does he do that? When we are so harmed and we are so hurt, our natural human response is revenge. Paul is writing to people to have been hurt, and these people would have been hurt, some of them greatly, who maybe themselves have been beaten and bullied and abused by Roman authorities. Some may even have had loved ones killed by the authorities. And Paul's advice to them is do not get revenge. He says that's not our lane. The human lane is not to get revenge. That is God's lane. I'm a pastor. I have a specific set of skills, much like Liam Neeson in the movie Taken, who has a certain set of skills. He has a set of skills. I have a set of skills. They are different. My skills also do not extend to building things around our house. I once, as a middle school student, tried to build one of those little tiny step stools, and I so failed that project that when I got it home, my father had to like sand stuff down and put extra screws in it just so it would work. I have a specific set of skills. I've got a lane. Mine does not extend to woodworking. I need to stay in my lane. Here, Paul is telling us our lane. Our lane is not revenge. Now, in this day when it was written in Judaism, it was totally fine to get revenge against non-Jews or in cases of personal injury. Either one of those, you could get revenge. Here, the early church breaks new ground and says, No revenge, period. No exceptions, doesn't matter. No revenge, period, ever. As much as we feel it deep down to get back at the person who hurt us so grievously, so painfully, it is not our lane. It is not our job. We can become absolutely obsessed with trying to get back at someone who hurt us. It can become so all-consuming in our lives, it becomes the only thing we think about, the only thing we turn over and over again in our heads. Instead of praying and connecting with God to bring us peace, instead of meditating on scripture like this to bring peace in our own lives, we simply stew over the wrong done to us and think of various ways to get revenge. It consumes us. God says, stop, stop. Today, just stop. Leave it with me, says God. It is my job to get revenge. God has righteous anger. Friends, so often we do not. We can get so angry, so upset at so many different things. But is our anger righteous? Are we even capable of righteous anger that isn't mixed with our own pride and self-interest and ego and selfishness? We see through a glass darkly. God doesn't have that issue, friends. Leave revenge to God. It is time today to just stop. All those difficult people you deal with who have crossed you, it is time to stop. It's time to lay down your need for revenge at the altar, and it's time to pick up something else. What is the something else? Paul knows we need to channel that energy, that revenge, those feelings somewhere, and this is his suggestion. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So what do we do when a relationship doesn't depend on us with a difficult person? First, when a relationship is harmful, we find peace in separation. As we've already seen, there are times that it's necessary for one or both parties. Second, right here, Paul says we find peace in compassionate action. It is to love a difficult person when it is the last thing we want to do. In Paul's day, it was feeding their enemies. It's feeding our enemies today. It was Christians providing care for Romans who were hungry. <coughs> Government was sending some of their followers to their deaths. It's giving people who bullied and harassed Christians water when they were thirsty. This is a high call to stay, as we stay connected to difficult people. It is to act in a loving way regardless of how they treat us. In that way, we will heap burning, we will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And if you notice how it's written in your Bible, it's a quote. Paul is actually quoting Proverbs. And for those of you who want to know, it's Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. Pulling out a proverb. Now, your verse might just say, depending on your translation, dump burning coals on their heads. And I love that image because for those of us who are hurt, that sounds like a pretty good way to get back at somebody, right? You hurt me, now I'm going to dump a bunch of burning rocks on your head. That's going to make me feel better. That is not what it's talking about. It could be very cathartic to dump a box of rocks on somebody's heads, but that is not, that's a little bit too literal for what Paul is going at here. The translation I read to you gives you a little bit of context. Burning coals of shame. Burning coals of shame. By doing loving acts to difficult people, there's a chance at some point they're going to wake up. They're going to see that they are living and making our lives more complicated. Loving actions, serving others, has the power to open people's eyes to show them what they're doing to us. It takes us back to the very first message in this series. The very first one, doing acts of love, sincerely loving people, has the power to change them, to transform them, and us completely. Their eyes might just be opened someday down the way to how difficult they are being. Now our charge, both as we deal with difficult people in our lives and just the way we move in the world, is this last verse from chapter 12. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Say it with me. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. The Roman Christians bullied and bruised and some murdered by the Romans would have absolutely felt that need for revenge, to respond in kind, to bully and bruise and murder an eye for an eye. Friends, that is letting evil conquer you. And that's trying to conquer evil with more evil. Perpetuating the cycle of hate and violence and retribution does nothing more than continue that cycle. No, Paul says if you want to break that, and Jesus says it too, we must conquer evil by doing good, by loving our enemies, by praying for those who persecute us. Man, Paul, Jesus, is that even possible to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. It's not possible by ourselves. It's not possible without each other. Not without the Holy Spirit moving in us and among us, transforming us to be the people who sincerely love, who genuinely hate and give peace a chance. 
Even when it doesn't depend on us, loving difficult people, we find peace and compassion in actions, and sometimes we find peace in separation. The call to follow Jesus, friends, this is high. This is tough stuff. And these practices are hard. And not only that, we've got legitimate questions. Like, what about justice? What about justice? We lay down our need for revenge. We wonder if that person who hurt us is and will ever get justice in this world. Will that ever happen to me? Because revenge is really a distortion of justice in us placed by God. God is just. We are hardwired as a people to want justice. Not just those who are harmed, but the perpetrators. We want them held accountable. That desire for justice and accountability, it can be distorted by revenge, but the desire, rightly ordered, is placed in us by God. And I think sometimes, even with the imperfections in our criminal justice system, and you can ask the lawyers, judges, other staff here today just what those imperfections are, I think God can work through our own human-made system for justice on this side of the new heaven and new earth. As I was working on this this week, I was reminded of a horrific story from a number of years ago. Over the course of 20 years, more than 500 athletes were sexually assaulted in the largest sexual abuse scandal in history, and this primarily affected USA Gymnastics and Michigan State University. A central figure at this was Larry Nasser, the doctor for the team. More than 265 women said Nasser sexually abused them under the guise of providing medical treatment. Absolutely evil. During his sentencing, he was required to listen to the stories of those he had abused. And at one point, Nasser requested the judge to stop as it was painful to him. And I remember this image uh, from the news report of that day, and the image was two women. They were the judge and the bailiff. Judge Rosemary Equilina and her bailiff, she's standing, the bailiff standing beside the judge. The judge reads the request, tears it up, and continues the proceedings. He's now serving 360 years in prison, never to be released again. To me, that image, it seemed like the system worked, that God worked through it to bring just a little bit of justice to hundreds upon hundreds that were abused. I think our system can, in fact, be used by God to bring justice on this side of the new heaven and new earth. Now, in life, we know, though, some people get what they deserve, even if it's justice delayed. However, we all know and perhaps even experienced ourselves people getting what they do not deserve. Justice was not done for you or for others that you know. In those cases, we have faith in our God of justice. We believe that somehow, somewhere, sometime, everything will be made just, everything will be made right, and even beyond that, we think everything said will become untrue. It's a phrase that's captured me over the past couple of years, and it's not scripture, it's actually a phrase from the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King book. It is, even though it's not scripture, it's incredibly biblical, that someday that God will not just bring about a world that is just, that has no more pain or suffering or death ever again, where we walk with God just like we walk with each other. But this world, all of the hurtful words that we ever spoke, all of our hurtful actions, all the ways large and, large and small, that we have caused pain and significant harm to each other, all the ways we've been difficult to each other, will not only be redeemed, but undone 
unwound like they never happened in the first place. It feels impossible, doesn't it? It feels like a pie-in-the-sky notion. But so does a first-century poor itinerant preacher who said he was God dying and rising again. May that day of everything sad being coming untrue come soon. May we live in the Holy Spirit's power what that world could be like now today. As we deal with difficult people, friends, especially when it doesn't depend upon you, may we build peace and compassion and action, and if necessary, find peace in separation. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, help us to see there are times in a relationship that it is not dependent upon our action, but the action of others. May your Holy Spirit help us to discern the right next step. Perhaps our response is to commit to compassionate and kind acts to the difficult person in our life. Our next step may also be separation from that relationship. Whatever our next step may be, whatever you're speaking to our hearts this morning, may you provide the courage for us to do it. It is in your resurrected Savior's name we pray together. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>